Hello everyone, it's March 3rd, 2020. So SpaceX will be massively ramping up its launches from the Cape in the next few years, including polar launches. The other big news is that Artemis is getting some major mission design changes, or is it? It's a mystery for now, but let's get into it and lift off. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 250 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. I'm Dennis. All right, so we're at a quarter of a thousand. <laughs> or just 250, you could say. That's how people usually refer to that number. So one thing that we're not going to talk about, and also something space-related, is the SpaceX SN1 pressure event. Yeah. The overpressure oh. event, which we don't know much about, really. So that's why we're not going to actually talk about it. Well, here's another thing we can't say too much about is uh, Astra had a weather delay, and now the mm-hmm. uh, the DARPA challenge is allowing them to do both launches from the same port or the same uh, spaceport. I think that they are still going to launch from two different launch pads, but they're only like 300 meters apart. Uh, okay. I think that the original rules were they had to be two different space complexes, you know, like two different um, like space. installations, say like Kennedy and then Wallops, you know, something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, these two are taking place, you know, in the same place. It's just that they're two different launch pads. Mm-hmm. Here's a really good quote uh, from Todd uh, Master, the DARPA program manager for the DARPA cha- launch challenge. He says, uh, we really don't want to make this a logistics challenge or a regulatory challenge, right? Having to get new FCC uh, licensing. Um, mm-hmm. He said, uh, whether we moved 5,000 miles or 1,000 feet, the technical challenges associated with it and the benefit of what we are trying to demonstrate remain the same. I just wish that they would have decided that ahead of time instead of just, <laughs> it feels a little cheap doing it now, but I totally understand why that would be a change that they would want to make. Well, what was the reason for having it in two different locations anyway? I know it was because they wanted to wrap a turnaround time, but if that- that's the case, then they actually kind of do need to be able to prove that they can do it from two different locations, right? Right. But I mean, it, that's that's just a, a challenge of shipping the vehicle, you know, across mm-hmm. the country. Because um, because the real key here is that it's, you know, launch platform agnostic, you know, you kind of ship mm-hmm. everything all in one box. And, and that's really the challenge. And so with with that in mind, yeah, moving 5000 miles doesn't make that much of a difference. Um, that just, you know, requires a different launch profile basically mm-hmm. uh, yeah sam in the chat says it kind of feels like the constant rule changes for the google lunar x prizes yeah uh, although the google lunar x prize was really truly just uh that was just trying to get somebody there <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than uh dealing with uh with licensing and that kind of thing so but i mean you know to to be fair like astra already operated their their uh, shipping logistics in a different way than planned. Like instead of shipping via boat, they ship by via C-130. Yeah. Dan, uh, Dan says uh, this stuff changes when there's only one candidate left though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, it, it is a little bit like, okay, let's just get this done. Yeah. SpaceX is planning on doing a lot of launches in the coming years, uh, specifically something like 70 from Cape Canaveral alone in one year. So that's quite a bit, but that's by 2023. Uh, I don't know how many are coming up in this year, but it's probably somewhere, I'm going to say, maybe like half of that. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, all this was revealed in a uh, an environmental uh, assessment done by the FAA, and it yeah revealed kind of three interesting things coming from uh, SpaceX. and like you said, right? A whole lot more launches. Uh, they're trying to ramp up to 70 missions a year from uh, the two uh, launch complexes, 39A and 40. And uh, you're pretty much bang on for uh, how many this year? Uh, about half of that, or 38, are currently uh, planned. And that's already a huge improvement over last year, which was uh, 11. 
an improvement in terms of numbers at least. And so, yeah, the idea is in uh, this year to launch uh, 38 and then the next couple years to do 10 Falcon Heavies and Falcon 9s at uh, uh, 39A and then 44 Falcon 9s at LC40 uh, for a total of 64 and then by 2023 uh, top off the launches from LC40 to 70 a year. And so that's kind of a remarkably high clip <laughs> i mean that's yeah that averages out to what about like uh one launch every five days right is that it yeah. just about like five point something days i guess that's quite a bit yeah so the idea to tie in some other news is that they need to support you know not only uh the department of defense they got that uh national what's that called uh, the national security space launch contract so they can do dod launches they've got commercial folks and they uh, just recently scored a NASA launch for uh, the Psyche mission on a Falcon Heavy. So that's pretty awesome to get to see. Sam's got a little bit of uh, skepticism of uh, talking about 30 plus launches when it's March and they've done only three. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. That's I, that's what they file at least. But um, the Starlink ones seem like they've been going to been launching so many Starlinks. But I guess, yeah, it really has only been <laughs> three Starlink launches. Three Starlinks, but how many total? Yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, SpaceX has done has done four Starlink, Crew Dragon, and Flight Abort, and then Starlink, Starlink. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that's one of the things uh, that this uh, environmental assessment revealed that SpaceX is, you know, at least on paper, planning to ramp up a whole lot of launches. And the second thing was something we talked about before, uh, the polar launches that they want to do, going to polar orbits. Uh, they estimate about 10% of their missions would fly this trajectory where uh, they would have to basically head south uh, and make a dogleg. There was, uh, you know, as part of this uh, assessment that the sonic booms when flying along the coast wouldn't be enough to damage structures significantly. And one thing I thought was, neat was... <laughs> yeah. So you, you can break a window just as long as it's a small one. Okay, so I added that significantly bit, but they did have the language that it, I think the idea was that well-supported or well-structured, not well-structured, but well-supported structures would not suffer any damage so i guess if yeah, somebody yeah. has you know an outhouse from the uh 1910s right. then maybe that one will yeah. uh, which is totally reasonable right like who, you, exactly. you're not going to design for buildings that aren't up to code or whatever yeah and so uh you see the recovery area they got they're basically kind of west of the bahamas or south of cuba which is interesting that we'll be dropping first stages over cuba the fairing recoveries in first stage are uh west of the bahamas and then the fairing recoveries uh, would be south of Cuba. So we wouldn't be dropping boosters over Cuba. We'd be dropping fairings over Cuba. A little less yikes, I guess. <laughs> Ideally, dropping them just south of Cuba, but yeah. Yeah, and not so far that they hit Jamaica. Mm -hmm. We want yeah. to avoid yeah. that as well. Right in that little sweet spot. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, the kind of the third big thing to come out of this uh, was definitely the most uh, pretty pictures in the report was a mobile service tower that they are planning to mm -hmm. construct at a uh, 39A. It's going to allow them to do uh, vertical integration. You know, it's 284 feet or 86 meters tall and 118 feet or 35 meters wide. But really, you just got to kind of just got to kind of look at this thing. <laughs> I don't know really how else to, you know, it doesn't make for good radio. I mean, imagine something that's, you know, almost a third taller than a, than a Falcon Heavy and, you know, mm -hmm. a little bit wider. I mean, it's it's a pretty 
pretty big structure, you know, these... Aesthetically, it's got the kind of same look to me as the um, crew uh, the platform. The crew, the crew access arm. Yeah, the crew access arm. It's got that I sort of... I don't know. Of... It kind of looks like a Tom's shoe to me. Mm, what is Tom's shoe? Like a shoe, the brand Tom's, with like the, the square toe. I'm not familiar with those. Really? Like, everybody, everybody was wearing them in like 2018. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it does. It looks like one of those tipped over. Yeah, so I uh, don't really know much what else to say about the service tower other than, you know, that's that's pretty exciting. I mean, I love seeing mobile service towers uh, when they're doing their thing. Just any large structures, you know, anything that big that can move just as an engineering feat is always kind of fascinating to me. I, ju- I just wish we had an ETA. I'm guessing at some point within the next couple of years, so probably not too long. Yeah, I mean, they, they can probably build something like this pretty quickly. I mean, SpaceX has shown that they, they can really crank on uh, ground support hardware when they want to, mm-hmm. mostly because it doesn't have to fly. <laughs> but right. I wonder how long it'll take <laughs> for them to actually be able to utilize it. Right, right, right. Let's move on to Artemis then, so or changes to the Artemis. Let's, uh, let's translate. Yeah, my own term that I've invented, but I, I don't ever <laughs> use it because I just, I just couldn't make it work. Like, it didn't sound right. I mean, it should, but yeah, let's translate, quote unquote, over to <laughs> Artemis. And a, I guess, a leaked document that's been floating around. And I remember last week we were talking about who the current human spaceflight director, I think that's his title, was. Um, and we had kind of forgotten, but it's this guy, right? Or it's yeah, who his, was at sort of the heart of this discussion. His name's here. been popping up a lot on the show lately. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lavaro. So, I don't, I don't think that this is a, a leaked document, but uh, it was circulated at Marshall. Uh, the title is Moon 2024 Mission Manifest. Um, before we talk about it, um, NASA has said that this is not representative of actual plans. So uh, Bridenstine on Twitter even had a a five-word tweet (laughs) saying, (laughs) this is not the plan. Um, And then the the press secretary actually had a a real statement, and he said uh, the proposed... He, I don't know who the press secretary is. They said uh, the proposed timeline in this article has many inaccuracies. We are currently in a blackout period because multiple companies have proposed human lander solutions. And uh, yes, uh, Dan in the chat points out uh, Er Eric Berger has been... um, Boy, what's the word? I, he, he's been, yeah, kicking up a fuss, I guess is the, the only way I can put it. Basically, NASA saying, this isn't what we're planning on doing. This was just, you know, an internal document. He's like, no, I think this is what's going to happen. Dan says another synonym for kicking up a fuss would be, quote, using Twitter, unquote. Very good. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so the previous plan for Artemis was to, you know, build the Lunar Gateway, um, deliver a human uh, lunar lander, in multiple commercial crew flights, assemble it on location uh, remotely at the gateway. And then the first um, human landing mission would be um, flying four astronauts out on Orion SLS. Um, they arrive at the gateway to move into the lander and land on the surface and then return to the gateway. And then everybody gets back on Orion and goes home. Um, which is so sci-fi and wonderful and, and such a great, you know, if it's something that we can pull off, I think being able to land from a space station in this high orbit to the surface um, mm-hmm. is such a, an amazing difference from Apollo, you know, where we could just barely get back into a low orbit. But yeah, so so that was the plan previously and, you know, hopefully is still the plan. But this... Uh, this document kind of outlines a new plan. So the document covered 12 flights of SLS from April 2021 all the way out to 2030. 
Um, three missions in particular stood out that I want to talk about in detail. January 2023 would be Artemis 2, which would be the first crewed flight of Orion around the moon on a Block 1 SLS. So that would be basically Apollo 8. Um, August 2024 would be Artemis 3, which would be a, a lunar lander launched in one piece, uh, uncrewed to lunar orbit on a Block 1B. And then uh, Artemis 4 would be October 2024. Then uh, Artemis 4 would be October 2024. And that would be um, another Block 1 crewed flight of Orion to rendezvous with the lander, land, and then, and then come home. This document also includes two Europa science missions uh, launched on SLS, um, a, a number of cargo missions, and a number of human moon missions, which which were not paired with, you know, sort of a, a new lander. So I don't, I don't believe this would be lander, like landed missions, maybe just orbital missions or missions to the gateway, which I'm not a hundred percent sure because this does not, th this plan does not include any lunar gateway launches. So I don't know. Interesting. So Levero, um, when he, and this, this is, um, sourced directly to the Ars Technica article, um, but, uh, but Eric was talking about, uh, Levero, um, sort of entering his office and, um, doing a review of the Artemis planet and expressing concern about being able to assemble, uh, the lander in multiple parts remotely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he wanted to make sure that we had the ability to, um, dock with the lander independent of the gateway as, as sort of a backup, uh, mission profile, which, which I think is, is fair, I just don't know if that's enough to back up the idea that they're completely ditching Gateway. This document uh, on its own points out some issues with this uh, proposed new manifest. Um, it requires uh, Block 1B to be early. It, it requires Block 1B to be ready earlier than previously. Um, so as early as August 2024. Um, and remember, Block 1B is going to fly the evolved upper stage, which or it's not the evolved upper exploration. stage, the exploration upper stage, which, uh, which, you know, well, seen, seen some issues with that, uh, getting pushed back in the plan. It also, uh, this, this manifest would require work in parallel on multiple blocks. So block one and block one B, um, kind of doing them in parallel instead of kind of phasing them out stepwise and getting to work on one and then the other. Um, it also uh, requires an extra core to be built by the fall of 2024. So four cores instead of three cores. Um, and in the past, NASA has kind of hinted at the idea that Boeing was already kind of pushed to their limits uh, to be able to get three cores out in that amount of time. So it already sounds like this document is kind of saying, here's a proposed manifest, but it has some problems um, which definitely is more in line with NASA's uh, statements that this is not the final plan and less with Eric's, um, don't want to call him crazy rantings, but Eric's uh, <laughs> uh, Eric's push to, to indicate that this is uh, more of a, a solid plan. Let's not also forget that um, doing a single integrated lander poses some issues for the contractors at hand, mostly because Boeing uh, included a proposal for a single launch lander but Blue Origin and Dynetics didn't do that and presumably haven't uh, put together uh, a full plan for a single launch lander, you know, as opposed to multiple launches. And so it, if that's going to be the way that we go, 
Um, that's really tipping things in favor of Boeing, which probably isn't a good look at the moment. Um, whether or not Blue Origin and Dynetics are given the chance to uh, bring up their own proposals. And it is interesting because, you know, SpaceX wants to fly a Starship, which would be a single launch, but that's kind of a, a totally different proposal, isn't it? Yeah, I, I have a basic question about just if this is just, you know, a rumor and it's not the plan, right? Then why is it circulating around? internally are just people trying to i don't know rebel against the plan or like what's what's going on here i I don't even i'm having trouble wrapping my brain around how we can get these two narratives simultaneously i I think i think it's not unusual to have backups on backups on backups and to Mm. constantly come up with alternatives that can be proposed and looked at and if you know if a consensus is drawn then you can begin to think about changing your actual plan but it's not it's not out of the ordinary oh yeah and ben hallert in the chat points out that the this Marshall document was actually withdrawn as well. So, so he could they, have just said that and cleared everything up, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, well, this clears it up for me. Well, it, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't clear it up in, in Berger's mind. Berger has got um, an internal source that he's been kind of keeping quiet who, you know, he's saying, mm-hmm. I, you know, I can trust this source, but anonymous sources, especially, uh, you know, Berger kind of jumps on these things maybe a little early. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, this might just at the very least be an indication of, what the actual proposal will look like, you know, or the actual final plan might look like. So it might not be 100% accurate, but this kind of might show a trend. Perhaps. Yeah, it, it might. It, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. It, it might show kind of the way that the prevailing winds are blowing. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, it's it's important to note that NASA is literally in a blackout period. They can't talk, you know, they can't finalize yeah. plans and they can't talk about plans yet because they're still working on contracts. You know, there, there are other agencies or, you know, other companies, organizations is a better word, but there are, there are other organizations mm-hmm. that are, you know, still contributing and, and still need a chance to, for lack of better words, to get their shit in order. So I see. So saying this is not the plan is enough detail that you can go into essentially. Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I think it's worth talking about on the show because Artemis is hugely important. Well, it it could be hugely important if it actually, you know, happens the way that we think it's going to happen. Um, sending people to the moon is is really important. But mm-hmm. take all this with a grain of salt. We're kind of just, you know, licking our finger and holding it up into the wind and, and trying to see what what's going on. And I think this drama is is really interesting because it, in some measure, it actually echoes the drama that happened with Apollo. Remember, um, you know, for a long time, we didn't even consider lunar orbit rendezvous as a possibility. And, and so it's it's interesting to see different um, different philosophies pushing back against each other. Um, and I think that's what's really important here is to see that NASA is not of one mind, right? NASA has so mm. many different people thinking about things in different ways and coming up with alternatives. And, and I think that's really powerful and important. And and that's kind of what I, I would like to highlight here. And that's kind of the story I want to bring to the show. Yeah, no, I dig. Let's do short and sweet. What's the first one, Dennis? First up, NASA's safety advisory panel finds Boeing did not perform end-to-end software check prior to Starliner demo mission. 
The Aerospace Safety Advisory Panel learned earlier this month that Boeing did not perform a full end-to-end integrated test of Starliner with the Atlas V rocket. Done in the system's integration lab, such a test would show the interaction of software between the spacecraft and rocket and could have potentially caught the timer issue that caused the Starliner to miss critical maneuvers due to low fuel. Software-only integration tests were run, but were stopped after simulated spacecraft separation, instead of being run all the way from launch to docking. Christopher Sandin, who was on ASAP until mid-February, said, quote, it's pretty exhaustive. You got to do that. That was something surprising to us on the panel. There were certainly gaps in the test protocol. And then next up, uh, Omega's second stage has been test fired. Northrop Grumman announced a successful test fire of its Omega second stage motor. The solid rocket fired for a full duration of 140 seconds, burning nearly 340,000 pounds of solid propellant. The test was originally scheduled for late 2019, but there were delays due to anomalies during a May 2019 test of the Omega first stage that resulted in the stage's nozzle shattering towards the end of the test fire. No such issues have occurred during this test, however. All right, finally, MEV-1 performs the first ever docking between commercial spacecraft. Uh, Space Logistics Mission Extension Vehicle 1, MEV-1, has docked with Intelsat 901 as part of its first iteration of the company's new satellite life extension service. Launched last October on a Proton-M rocket, MEV-1 raised its orbit to about 180 miles above GEO, with Intelsat shutting off service to its satellite before raising its own orbit to match in December. The docked spacecraft will perform on-orbit checkouts before MEV relocates Intelsat 901 to a new orbit, at which point it will resume service, delegating station keeping to MEV-1. Space Logistics, a subsidiary of Northrop Grumman, says its mission extension vehicle will stay with the communication satellite for five years before moving Intelsat to its final decommissioning orbit and will be able to perform multiple docking and undocking maneuvers during its 15-year lifespan. Okay, stand by. We're looking at it. Questions, comments, and correction burn. So we have one pronunciation correction and then one more substantive one, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So so real quick, thanks, Paul. Uh, I pronounce Lausma, Lusma, which is wrong. And I've watched enough Amy Share title videos to know better. Uh, <laughs> so uh, sorry about that. Um, and uh, uh, Paul linked us to a video that, or a, uh, to an interview with uh, Lausma where he literally said, that's how my dad says it. So I say it that way too. So I'm so sorry, uh, Mr. Lausma. And then next up, Jason Friesen wrote in by email. Thank you, Jason, um, with some really cool new information that I did not know. Uh, the Skylab rescue mission that I talked about last week for uh, for Skylab uh, 3 um, was not going to be Skylab 4 launching a rescue mission. It actually would be a totally different uh, Apollo capsule. It'd be CSM-119. And this is really cool. So it would launch with two astronauts on board and then of course would return with five astronauts on board and we'll have a link in the show notes to uh, the wikipedia page for this uh, rescue mission Uh, and notably it has a diagram showing how you stuff five people into an apollo command module it's a pretty interesting diagram there Mm -hmm. Uh, you have to do it's like you know three facing one way and two the other way so it's like foot to i don't know how you say that foot to face yeah all, all facing 
uh, with their backs towards the uh, towards the heat shield, but you form a lower deck that you can cram two uh, two astronauts mm-hmm. in down in down in the the cargo deck. Yeah, their chests are basically to the back of the seats of the guys above them. Yeah. So that that's very cool. Thank you, Jason. Moving on to this week in spaceflight history, then uh, we got just one winner. So who might that one winner be? And yeah. and yeah, remind us of the clue because yeah, it was a weird one. Yeah, it was a weird one. Uh, so one winner, yay! Uh, Chubby Turkosi, of course, nailed it. Uh, the clue from last week was car crashes apply delta V in 300 to 400 milliseconds. What about five months? So this week in spaceflight history is March 10th, 2006, which, yes, I understand is technically one day outside of this week. And this week, uh, this is next week's show will come out on the 10th. Chubby took me to task for that. I'm I'm sorry. I know we were struggling. Uh, We kind of were at the end of our rope and we just decided to fuzz it a little bit. I'm sorry. This week in spaceflight history is March 10th, 2006. Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter enters Mars orbit. Who doesn't love MRO? So MRO launched it, uh, August 12th, 2005. It did two trajectory correction maneuvers for a total of 8.55 meters per second of delta V, which is just minuscule. I mean, that's that's barely anything. So once it arrived at Mars uh, on March 10th, it did a 27-minute burn over the South Pole to capture around Mars. So that is changing its velocity from 2,900 meters per second to 1,900 meters per second. So so a, a full kilometer of delta V. Interestingly enough, this was 27 minutes, which was 33 seconds longer than planned. Um, basically, the uh, helium tank was a little colder than expected. So the Pressure was a little bit lower, which means that the thrust was a little bit lower. So the vehicle had to uh, had to extend its burn just a little bit. But, it, you know, it was a successful burn. So it entered into a 35 and a half hour period orbit with that with that one burn. It gets up to Apoarian uh, on March 30th and drops its periarian about 95 kilometers. I originally had really specific numbers entered here, but... Uh, periarian was actually adjusted multiple times, if not every orbit, to account for the differing density of the atmosphere as it kind of fluffs up and, and drops back down, densifies. So they had to right. tweak the periarian to make sure that they were entering the atmosphere at the um, at the right altitude to not overheat, but also to apply as much uh, braking force as possible. So March 30th, they put themselves into this uh, aero braking maneuver. August 30th, 2006, they raised the periarian again to uh, complete uh, this five-month delta V application. There's the clue. And so they ended in a 112-minute period orbit and then uh, circularized and did a couple of, of you know, propulsive uh, tweaks to the orbit to to get into their final science orbit. And then, of course, uh, you know, I couldn't talk about MRO without talking about the fantastic science it did. Uh, they discovered water ice uh, kicked up, you know, unearthed in new craters. Uh, they discovered uh, chloride compounds widespread across the surface, suggesting uh, water evaporation. They found a bunch of other minerals in the correct proportions uh, that suggest a life-friendly pH when there was water on the surface. And then one of my favorite things is they actually imaged polar avalanches as they happened in, in real time. Uh, and so you can see mm-hmm. these big clouds of dust being kicked up by these avalanches. Um, and there, there'll be some photos in the show notes, of course, to uh, 
to show off some of these uh, pretty awesome discoveries. De Dennis, did you have anything you wanted to talk about MRO? Because this is your wheelhouse. No, just that. I mean, high rise. This is the this is the mission that's got high rise, which is just the best imager in my in my humble opinion. I do personally love those photos of the avalanches because you can see surface features changing in you know real time, as you said, and that's just there's something very visceral about that mm -hmm. that, that, like, mm -hmm. that like made me think, oh, this is a planet, like a like it's a planet, right? planet. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yes, we know it's a planet, but still, mm -hmm. yeah, just to see that happen, mm -hmm. so cool. And then I'm going to do the clue for next week because uh, Ben forgot to, so I'm going to do it after the fact during editing. The clue for next week is in 1934, puppeteer. So nice and short, unlike the previous clue, just one word, puppeteer. And that is for 1934. And if you think you know what that's in reference to, give us a tweet with the hashtag ThisWeekSF and good luck. Let's move on to upcoming spaceflight events now. We got actually a couple launches um, and one mysterious vehicle that may or may not be an actual thing yet, but... <laughs> What is going on with that, Dennis? <laughs> well, first up on March 5th, we've got a GSLV Mark II. Uh, we'll be taking GISAT-1, uh, which is an Indian Earth observation satellite. Uh, we'll be taking that satellite to geostationary orbit. So uh, keep an eye out on March 5th at 1213 UTC with a launch window from 0945 to 1345 UTC. And the uh, fun little bit of news that David's alluding to is that the uh, design and engineering of uh, ISRO's human spaceflight vehicle, uh, which is GSLV Mark III, has just been completed. And so good for them. Congratulations. Uh, next is a Soyuz STA with a frigate upper stage flying Falcon I-2, which is a uh, high-resolution Earth imaging satellite operated by the United Arab Emirates. So this is launching on March 6th. Uh, at 0133 hours UTC uh, from uh, Kuru. And uh, I believe this is an instantaneous launch window, assuming it's a, uh, a sun-synchronous orbit. And let's be clear, this this is a military satellite, not a scientific. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next up is on March 7th, and that is the launch of a Falcon 9 Block 5, and that is with CRS-20. So we mentioned this last week. Are we doing this again because it got pushed back, or is it just because it was on, like, the cusp? Yeah, yeah it got pushed it. back because there was a uh, there was an issue with a, uh, a valve, I think, or not a valve, a, um, but, but it was it was a, it was a simple enough fix where they just used a different second stage. So there's something wrong with the, a component of the second stage, so they just just had another one lying around and swapped that in there, I guess. <laughs> that is nice when you have a lot of, you don't have reusable second stages, but they do have plenty of first stages. But I guess just, you know, mm -hmm. having those lying around is very convenient. So that got moved to March 7th. The uh, launch window right now is 0450 UTC, and that's launching from Space Launch Complex 40 in Cape Canaveral. And then on the 9th, uh, you can watch on NASA TV the coverage of the rendezvous and capture and that begins at 5 30 in the morning and that is like you know eastern daylight time in this case so not utc so that's just eastern daylight time the actual installation should begin at 8 30 so the first three hours is uh the approach and you know all the slow but interesting stuff if you're into watching that at 5 30 in the morning mm -hmm. so yeah you can catch that on nasa <laughs> tv <laughs> but the actual cool part i think at least is installation i i like i like the capture because you get to see the arm reach out and grab it but it does it so slowly. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the final capture is actually pretty quick. I mean, it's fast enough that you can watch it with your eyes and, and see the yeah. movement. All right. Uh, so those are your upcoming spaceflight events. All right. Let's deorbit the show. And we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music. We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. 
Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction burns on the fly. If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen or visit theorbitalmechanics.com support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources. And real quick, let me go off script. If you want to support us without paying any money, tell a friend about us. That's really oh, yeah. helpful. Good idea. Yeah. But also money works. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm never going to argue with money, but, uh, but honestly, word of mouth is more valuable than cash. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies. You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit, where Orbital Podcasts on both, and you can talk directly to us by emailing info at theorbitalmechanics.com. All right. So we will see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See you.